Hello, and welcome to the Music Teacher Coffee Talk podcast. I'm Carrie. And I'm Tanya. We are both elementary music teachers who love to talk shop, preferably over a steaming cup of coffee. This is episode 143. Today, we are starting a new series, Recipes for Success. In this episode, we will focus on primary lesson segments. We'll also talk about our highs and lows from the teaching week, discuss some ideas in our Know Better, Do Better segment, share a work smarter, not harder teacher tip, And in our CODA section, we'll give some specific recommendations of our favorite things we are enjoying in and out of the music room. So grab your beverage of choice and let's get started. So now it's time for our highs and lows where we share something great or not so great that's been going on in our teaching life the last couple of weeks. So Tanya, what would you like to share? Well, um, this is a high, but it's a bittersweet high because my student teacher just finished her time with me. Yay. And yesterday was her last day. And I will be very sad. Well, I am very sad that she is moving on to go and uh, student teach at the high school level in orchestra, which is awesome for her because, you know, that's what needs to happen. But um seriously one of the best um, student teachers I've ever had she really had so much professionalism and um, just was an excellent student teacher and what I really appreciated about her is that uh, she she could take a note as you might say in the theater like I when I would give constructive criticism she really took it to heart and like made efforts to change that exact thing and saw results. And um, that's not something that everybody I've seen or worked with can do, you know? Right. It's such a great skill to be able to be like, okay, I've heard this. I'm taking it in. I'm thinking about how I can do things differently. Um, and And I'm going to, shift things you know and still make it your own to still make it within your own teaching style and you know not not change everything that someone suggests but to be able to consider and reflect and and then make changes that's awesome that's great so i'm sad to see her go but yeah so that's a high and and now i have to remember how to teach again i (laughs) (laughs) that's the hard part yeah it's fine and you Uh. carrie um, I'm going to go low. This is like an oddly specific low. So can I talk about my love-hate relationship with Blookit? <laughs> oh, Blookit. I mean, okay, here's, so if you don't know what Blookit is, it's like a quiz platform similar to Kahoot, but much better. There's all these different mini games. So I can proudly say that I introduced Blookit to my school. Like I did Blookit for the first time last year with both fourth and fifth graders. I don't know. I want to say maybe it was like halfway through the year, like right before the holidays. And they became obsessed with Blook It to the point where, I mean, first of all, they went back to their classroom teachers and were like, you guys, you have to play Blook It. Miss Nicholas yes, plays this yes. thing called Blook It. And uh, so, yeah, they, uh, they got their classroom teachers playing it. Then they love to log in because you can log in with your Google account to like rack up points and like save games. They create and you can own. make pretty things on your badges because like last time I played Blookit with a class, some of them had like super fancy background oh, yeah. badges. Skins, I'm like, what happened? They call it yeah. yes, yes. 
Right. So they're really excited about it. Then they make their own blankets and they share them with their friends and all this stuff. Okay. So all this to say, I've created a monster, right? Because right. now every time the kids come to music, there are some kids that are like, are we going to play blanket today? To the point where I'm like, if you ask me, are we going to play blanket today? The answer will always be no, don't ask. And so like, I will change starts... how to dime. We will not do that thing. Oh my gosh. And then like, my whole routine is like, okay, so if I give kids an assignment in Google Classroom, you know, maybe it's a seesaw activity they have to do or a Google Slides thing or just writing on a Google Doc or a Google Form, like anything that they do on their Chromebook, you know, you always have to account for there's kids who are going to finish early. So I have this website that I created during COVID, really, and it stuck around where it's like basically a whole list of all these different activities they can do, like Incredibox and Chrome Music Lab and Groove Pizza and, you know, all these places they can go to be creative and make music and all this stuff. Blookit is not one of those choices because unless we're not. doing Blookit live, I don't give them a Blookit. Like very occasionally I give them a homework Blookit that they can do on their own at home just for fun. Um, but it's pretty rare. Um, so anyways, Blookit's not a choice. But then every time a kid comes up to me, he's like, well, can I do a Blookit? And I was like, but I didn't post a Blookit. Well, can I make a Blookit? And my whole thing is like, this is music class. So yes, you're messing around on your Chromebooks and you're doing all this stuff, but at least it's a musical activity, the ones that I leave for them. If they're creating their own Blookit, they're creating it on like, guess this fast food logo or guess who this Pokemon character is. You know, like when they make their own Blookits, they're not music-based, obviously. Can you make that? Can you say you have to make a music-based Blookit? Have you tried I mean, that? maybe, but they're never doing it for more than like two minutes. I guess they could start one and save it. I know, like, I feel like I should be accommodating to their creativity, but it's, they just want to play on Blookit. So I love Blookit. I really, really do. It's super engaging. The kids look forward to it. But I'm at the point now where it's like they almost have to earn it because it's driving me a bit batty. And like, I hate that I have to like take this tool that they love so much and like tone it down because it's gotten out of control. And I mean, I have a couple of kiddos who have some behavioral issues and not just for me, for, for everywhere. And like, there's one kiddo in particular that if we don't play Blook It, he shuts down and does nothing. So that's a whole obviously different conversation, but then it just like sets the tone of the class because the other kids see him doing this and it's like, oh my God. So anyways, I love Blook It, use Blook It with caution. I decided um, my current third graders, um, I'm not gonna introduce Blook It to them until the very end of the year, if at oh, all. Yeah because I need to tone it down. But all that to say, did you know that they made a Halloween themed Blookit that's oh, available no. right now? They changed uh -huh. Gold Quest, which is like the pirate themed one to Candy Quest. You know what? I think I remember this from last year. I think yeah. I remember seeing that and getting in there and doing a Blookit because I, I wanted the kids to do the Halloween one before it went away. Exactly. In fact, I think I did it on Halloween. When was yeah. Halloween last year? Yeah. Or the day that we celebrate at school. I think right. I did it on that day because I'm like, this is really the best how, where I'm at. Like we're only going to do blickets in situations like that. But anyways, that's my sad story. It's not that sad, but it's just more annoying about how I feel about Blookit right now. Yeah, I get it. And it's time for our main theme. So this is the very first in a series of recipes for success. 
And we are talking specifically about lessons when we're talking about these recipes for success. And we are focusing in on lesson segments in a primary kindergarten, first grade, second grade classroom. Yeah. Yeah. So So what is a lesson segment, Tanya? Well, a lesson segment is a segment of time where you are focusing children's attention on something either through, you know, a visual, physical, aural kind of exercise. However, I also use the term lesson segment for pretty much anything that happens in my lesson, anything that happens. So if if we are stopping and we're, if we're playing doggy doggy, where's your bone? And I am just, we're just playing the game and we are not like talking about specifics of the rhythm or the melody or anything. Um, that's still a lesson segment. So the relaxation um, times, which could be playing a game, could be reading a book, to me are still lesson segments. So everything in my lesson is a lesson segment and they're joined together by transitions. And so that's what I consider a lesson segment. But I want to make sure that we mention that this vocabulary lesson segment does come directly from Rita Klinger and the book Lesson Planning in a Kodai Setting, A Guide for Music Teachers, which is a awesome book. Um, if you are Kodai-focused, Kodai-inspired, or even if you're not, um, this book is just wonderful with breaking things down, not just with the lesson segments, but also Rita Klinger talks a lot about transitions and all of this. We'll be digging into transitions later on in another episode. But anyway, a lesson segment is that short segment within a lesson. And I was going to go on to say about how long it should be, but I'm going to let you chime in with anything I missed. Yeah, no, that's a great way to think of it. Um, Yeah, it's kind of like those bigger chunks within your lesson that have smaller steps within them. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, like you said, they're tied together with transitions. And we are going to talk about transitions in a later episode. So, you know, when Hani and I were talking about this series that we're going to be doing for the next couple of podcast episodes, the image that came to my mind, and it's an obvious one, is the image of a cake, right? Like a layer cake where you have, you know, it doesn't have to be tiered layers necessarily, but just like that every lesson segment is a layer of the cake. And then your transitions in between those layers of the cake are like that yummy, you know, whether it's icing or some sort of ganache or some sort of Bavarian cream. It's like that. Raspberry filling. Yeah, you're filling that ties together those really delicious, you know, chunks of your cake. And then we're going to talk in a later episode about what is the icing on the cake, but we'll save that for later. But so, I mean, this is like the basis of your lesson. This is the foundation of your lesson. This is the focus of your lesson. So then where do those focus points come from? So this goes back to this idea of long-term planning into daily planning is hopefully you have some sort of a basis for your entire year. So when you go to plan, okay, this is October and I'm going into week three of October, for example, I can look at my yearly plan or perhaps you have some sort of district pacing guide or statewide pacing guide that kind of gives you some guidelines that, okay, this is first grade, this is October, I'm in about week three, here's what I should be focusing on. 
Um, and then within a Kodai inspired context, we typically have more than one focus in a lesson, which is something that I know administrators sometimes don't like. But when we look back at, you know, what makes a an engaging spiral curricul curriculum for students, it's like this idea of we might be practicing one concept while we're also preparing another, or we might be doing that opposite way. Um, usually one is melodic or one is rhythmic, but again, it depends on the grade level and the time of year and what you're doing. So for example, if I'm looking at week three of October in first grade, I know right now I'm in the final steps of preparing Ta and Titi. So I'm getting ready to present that basically right after Halloween is my timeline right now, depending on how the students are doing with that. And then I'm also practicing, you know, the concept of beat versus rhythm as connected to Tan Titi. But I'm also doing kind of some final practice of like comparatives, loud and soft and fast, or loud and soft and fast and slow. Um, we're kind of wrapping that up as we then move into like a beat versus rhythm focus. So, you know, that's where you are getting your lesson segment you know, focuses or foci from is, you know, hopefully some sort of a yearly plan or like I said, maybe your district provides something like that. Like in our district, we have a year at a glance template. It's not broken down by week. It's not even necessarily broken down by month. It's broken down by trimester. But so then it, you know, it's up to us then to decide within the trimester of school you know, what exactly we're going to be doing when. Um, so there's still some part on, some work on our part. Um, but that's kind of where you would decide, okay, what am I doing in my lesson segment? Hopefully you have some sort of long-term plan for that. Right. Yeah. And then the lesson segment is, you know, so we're, we're breaking it down from big picture, like you were just talking about that year at a glance or a year plan to smaller, like a, what I would call a unit or, you know, this many lessons we're going to be focusing on reviewing those comparatives like in kindergarten um and then now we're breaking it down to within a specific lesson um what's happening with what's happening and how long does it happen before we move on to a different song a different game a different whatever um and i also want to add that a lesson segment can be with the same song material that you were using you know two minutes earlier. Yeah. So for example, and we'll, we'll give some more specific examples also, but you might play um, a game. Oh, let's say who has the pumpkin because it's October and I've been, I haven't done it yet, but I've been thinking about my, you know, solo singing who has the pumpkin type of games. Right. Uh, and so you play the game and that's a lesson segment, just playing the game mm -hmm. where kids are soloing. I have the pumpkin, I have the pumpkin, right? And then the next couple, uh, the next lesson segment, which let's say we're in kindergarten, so it's going to be maybe three minutes to five minutes, right? Because I, I definitely can use a three-minute segment in kindergarten, would be maybe focusing on, um, oh, can we sing this loud? Can we sing this soft? And of course, in a more creative way than just, saying can we sing it loud can we say let's pretend we're out in the pumpkin patch and um someone found their pumpkin but they're way far away and they want to talk they want to make sure everybody else in the group knows that they found the perfect pumpkin can we sing it loud like 
you're trying to get your friend's attention. I have the pumpkin, right? Oh, can we sing it softly? Because you don't want to wake up a sleeping bunny that you found next to the pumpkin, you know, that kind of thing. (laughs) So that also could be a lesson segment. We're using the same song material, but instead of playing the game, we are practicing our known concepts and demonstrating them through our singing voice, right? So it's still a lesson segment with the same material. Um, So that's when I started my Kodai training, that was something that I, it took me a little bit to, to understand that like, well, if it's an, if it's a new lesson segment, isn't it a new song, new material, but no, it can be the same. Right. But also be careful not to go the other way with that, where you're doing the same song No, no, yes. for an entire lesson, but doing five or six different things with it. No, as no. Lovely as that is, maybe to you, that seems lovely pedagogically. That's not lovely to the kids. They, no. <laughs> So yeah, in a kindergarten lesson, and I see my kids for 45 minutes, which I know is longer than what you see them for. I aim for between five and seven actual songs. Yeah. Yeah. And that's in which, yeah, that's a lot. Um, The other thing I wanted to mention before we go into like more of the timing stuff is, you know, then when you go to plan your segments, like exactly what activities you are doing, um, this is where if you've done that upfront work, if you've done Kodai training where you've created concept plans and yearly plans and all that stuff ahead of time, this part's really easy. The, the, The planning part's really easy because if I know, again, going back to, okay, it's, you know, third week of October, first grade, I am doing like late practice of Ta and Titi. I'm about to present Ta and Titi. Let me open up my Ta Titi concept plan. Here are the songs that I'm using. Here are the activities that I'm using. And in my concept plans, as I'm planning lesson segments throughout that you know chunk of time that I'm working on that particular concept, I'm literally highlighting the activities that I've done. So I can see these are the activities that I haven't done yet. And so it's like plug and play, right? Like I'm taking yeah. these activities from my concept plan and inserting them into my lesson plan. Because this is a yeah. question I know I get a lot, Tanya, I'm sure you do too, is like, how do you just work smarter, not harder when it comes to lesson planning? You know, some people tell me it takes me hours and hours and hours to write lesson plans because I feel like people are constantly trying to come up with activities to do in their lesson segments rather than starting with like a concept plan, putting all the work into that concept plan, and then pulling those activities from that concept plan. Because for me, from year to year to year, generally my yearly plans don't change. Generally my concept plans don't change. My actual daily lesson planning does change, though, because nothing's ever exactly the same from year to year. But I can plan a a grade level lesson. If I have good concept plans and yearly plans in place and song lists, I can plan a lesson in 10 minutes because all I'm doing is plug and playing those activities. And if it's a material or a, you know, a, a slide or a manipulative that I already have, I already own, great. If it's something I need to make from scratch, that might take a little bit more time. I think where music teachers get into trouble is when we go to plan and we're like, okay, I need activities for Ta and Titi. What am I gonna do? Uh, Let me go to Teachers Pay Teachers and see what's there. Let me post on this random Facebook group. I need activities for Ta and Titi, go. Like that's not not a sustaining way to plan. So that's kind of the whole reason why we're doing this, this you know, series is to make planning easier. I feel like sometimes on the outset, it sounds harder because there is kind of that front loading work that goes into it. But then once you do the actual daily plans, it goes a lot quicker. 
So can I mention a couple of resources that came to mind as you were talking about what exactly you do for, say, late practice, right? Which yeah. we were just talking about. Um, there are some awesome resources. Susan Brumfield has some cards. Um, gosh, what is the, what are they called? They're from her First We Sing They're series. Like activity cards. Activity They're specifically cards. for practicing. Yes. Things. But yes. Exactly. They are specifically for practicing. And some of them can also be used in prep if you sure. change the vocabulary. If you change. Now, these practice activities, um, actually, no, I'm looking at them. There are some activities for preparation. Oh, I'm are looking they? Activities for preparation rhythm. Practice. Yeah. So okay, the cool. activities themselves don't mention specific song material, which is great because yeah. that's when you your creativity as the music teacher comes into play. You go, okay, well, here's this activity. Oh, I'm say poison pattern, for example, um, how can I make this specific to what the first graders are doing right now with apple tree, for example. Um, so when you have, a, I mean, and these come in these index cards, I've got them, I'm looking at them. I've got them in a very nice, clear um, little recipe box kind of things that holds index cards. And I can just open that up, flip through them and go, oh, look, I haven't done this kind of thing. I haven't done sneaky snake in a while. I think I'll do this, right? Um, so rather than us describe to you all these so many ways you can practice or prep a thing, it's really helpful to have a resource like that, that you can go, what would Susan do? Mm -hmm. um, also an American methodology, right? Which is Lamar Robertson and Ann Eisen's fantastic manual uh, book that you hear a lot of people mention. Um, this is perfect for these kind of lesson segments where you're prepping or you're practicing something where they give you specific ideas on and they and they do attach it to song literature. Uh, but these are resources that are worth having. And much more helpful than, like you said, going on Facebook. And and it's funny, Carrie, because you said that, like, how do I practice Ta and Titi? Usually, it's not even that on Facebook. Usually, it's like, I, I need to teach Ta and Titi. What do I do? Yeah, you not know? even practice specific, right? Facebook is not going to teach you how to teach music. No. And Instagram isn't either. No. And no. So the other yeah. thing, and it has to be said, that because I've been teaching so long and because I've done so many of these things, I don't have to reference as many resources in print or wherever I can often go. If someone were to say, okay, we're, um, we're prepping tita tea. What are your top three, whatever ways to prep that I could just list them off for you. And it's just exactly. because of experience. Yeah. Well, yeah. and training. And that's the other and thing training. we and training. all the time. Yes is really the best way to make sure that your lesson planning is totally on point is to get some really awesome training. And for Tanya and I, it was Kodai inspired training because from that, I feel like I can teach anywhere, anytime, anything. All yes. I need is myself, my voice, my tuning fork, my song collection <laughs> and my concept plans. And, your well, and my plans. song collections in my head and several well, of exactly. my concept plans are in my head. Yeah. Right. And so the challenge for me and for you is to go beyond that and still be adding new material and oh, yeah. 
repertoire and new ways to do things and making sure that we are keeping relevant with how kids are learning right now. So that's our challenge. So oh, yeah. all of this to say that if you're thinking, oh no, I can't build a lesson in 10 minutes. Well, no, if you're like in your first, I would say 10 years of teaching, definitely I would not expect that you could build a lesson right. in 10 minutes, right? right? During my first, honestly, 10 years, it took way longer to build a yeah. lesson and it's a lot of it is experience. So please don't get down on yourself if you're like, oh no, it's taking me 45 minutes, um, which might be a little long, but like, like you mentioned, the rabbit hole that I know a lot of people get sucked into and I do too, is when you're like, well, I don't have this cool thing to practice on TT, but you know what? I'm gonna make up, I'm gonna do a thing on Canva or a thing on Google Slides where we can drag apples and pumpkins into the patch and create this you know when you start going down that rabbit hole of like here's a four to five minute thing that i'm going to do but i'm going to take an hour to build the thing that's that's the problem well, or yeah, that's exactly could be the thing yeah yeah all right well with that said let's move on to a little more of the the actual planning the things so timing wise you know, again, a common question is how long should a lesson segment be or how many lesson segments should there be? And I'll, as always, we say, well, it depends <laughs> on the age of the child. It depends on what your focus is. So, I mean, a great rule of thumb for any lesson segment, for anything you're doing, is the, the age of the child. Um, so, for talking first graders, five to six minutes for a lesson segment before you need to change it up and do something different. And again, as yep. Tanya said, it might be the same song, but you're doing something different. Um, or it might be the same focus, but with a different song. So like if you're doing a rhythmic dictation activity, you kind of start with patterns from one song and then you do patterns from another song and then, hey, that also becomes a transition, but we'll yes, save that we'll for talk later. Yes, we'll later. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you can do the same activity, but change up the song. You can do the same song, but change up the activity. And that kind of is ways to not cheat the system, but you know, get more bang for your buck within your lesson. So it doesn't feel like you're just popcorning around the room okay we're doing this okay we're doing that and it feels really disjunct um think of ways to kind of overlap and make those things more seamless exactly yeah yeah all right well all right. should we move into some specific examples we've kind of been mentioning just a few off the cuff but do you want to go first because i was just talking and uh <laughs> Just give us an example, and we're, we're focusing today on primary, meaning like, you know, K through two, maybe into three. We'll talk more about intermediate lesson segments in our next one, because those, that kind of is a different animal, too, when you're talking about different ways to change things up for older kids. But we're sticking with primary kids, younger kids. What would a typical lesson segment be, Tanya? Okay. You know, it's funny because I wrote off this um, outline of what... If exactly what we're talking about, but I didn't come up with an ex a specific example, but I will right now. Well, just talk um, about something that, well, I guess you're a student teacher, so maybe I can't say something you did last week, but. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to go Halloweeny. Oh yeah. Great. Yeah. Because I was just thinking, oh, here's a, here's a song that doesn't get a lot of love and, you know, I'm sure it's a composed slash contrived whatever song um not a not an authentic folk song and does mention halloween and i got this from our friend amy abbott and it goes uh so this is the song black cat 
black cat looking for a witch. Black cat, black cat, night is dark as pitch. You can't see me cause your eyes are green. Black cat, black cat, this is Halloween. Right? Yeah. So, um, this is a song that I use in second grade. And I use it, I'm going to be using it next week because I'm we're bringing out all the Halloweeny things, or not all the Halloweeny things, but several Halloweeny things. And they love this song because it's got that minor tonality. And there's not a lot of minor tonality stuff for the younger ones, right? If you're going to be apple treeing it up and doing all these typical primary songs, we don't get a lot of minor. So that's lovely. Um, it's just something that the second graders they super love dig into and it is a great way to practice ta titi and rest right because we've got um looking for a witch titi titi ta rest right so a lesson segment would be singing the song and playing quote the game and what is quote the game it is us stalking around like cats as we sing the song, right? So everything is a game, of course. This is not a game with winners or losers. It is simply that we're singing it and we're moving around the room, right? If the singing goes away, then I have half the kids um, who don't move around like cats. They stand and they sing. Maybe also I could have a third group playing just a very simple Bordeaux on the instruments if you really want to get more bang for your buck. And then the groups rotate where you have um, another group who is moving. And now that group who was moving is now on the instruments. And then so you've got the singers, the instrumentalists, and the movers. All right. So a lesson segment would be doing that thing. And maybe on day one, we all sing and stand and sing or sit and sing. And then we all move and sing. And then we go into two groups. So that could be one lesson segment for one day because that would probably be as far as I would take it on day one. All right. So as far as a lesson segment where we're using the song material to do something is we could tap the rhythm while we sing. We could pat the beat while we sing. And I have a sign, as many people do, one side, sign says, side says rhythm, the other side says beat. And so we play a game where someone is at the front of the room, the conductor, I'm the first conductor, who switches the sign from beat to rhythm. So if we're singing the song and you're patting the beat, if I switch it to rhythm, then you've got to switch to tapping the rhythm on your hands. Mm-hmm. And then there's a student conductor. I do it first because I kind of like to model um, when we should flip the sign. I don't say do it by the phrase, but they end up doing that if I model it first, right? So that would be an example of a lesson segment that is not playing the game. And that is just digging into rhythm versus beat. Another lesson segment could be that we are taking a beat chart and we are taking like clear pebbles or, oh, maybe you have black cat. Actually, I do have black cat erasers. I do and, too. <laughs> yeah. Go to Target, everybody. Yeah. Okay. So, and, and then we are figuring out on our beat chart, right? 
how many sounds do we hear? I'm interested in the part that goes, black cat, black cat. Oh, everyone tap your beats. Black cat, black cat. And as you tap, how many sounds do we hear? That? So we're breaking it down. We're breaking it down into those four beats and then even to even one beat to really guide them. Oh, I hear black. How many sounds is that? Everybody count black. Oh, we put one of your black cats on that very first beat. Okay. And so on and so forth. So that was three lesson segments I just mentioned. Yeah. Sing, sing the song and playing the game. Right. Beat versus rhythm. Right. And rhythmic dictation decoding the song would i do all three of those in one lesson absolutely not (laughs) but over the week because i see my kids five days in a row and then they go away for two weeks so over the week i most likely would be if i'm using it for ta tt and rest i would be using every single one of those lesson segments in consecutive lessons yes yes and i probably would do it in that order because mm-hmm. yeah, we got to we got to learn the song, right? We got to learn the song, get it in, soak it up, get it in our bones, mm-hmm. get it in our paws, right? And it's fun to put instruments to it. So that could even be a fourth lesson segment. The whole like, let's now put it on instruments and whatever, um, move, sing, yeah. And I would do it in that order because we want we really need to um, go from big to smaller where we're just figuring out one beat at a time rhythm versus uh beat yeah yeah and then of course my brain is like and then in the and next then lesson, so give us bring back events. those mini erasers and they could compose either individually or in a small group like a little b section right and then you can totally. do a rondo where you're singing black cat and then they do yes. their ta tt rest rhythm and then you sing black cat and another group goes oh yeah, and I you mean- can bring out your die cuts or different halloween erasers where you go all right now you and a partner or maybe just you you need to come up with eight b where you're saying some Halloweeny things. So you go, spider, witch, mummy, ghost, spider, witch, mummy, go. Oh, and there's your B section. We could yep. we could orf it up. Yep. Now we're going to take <laughs> that eight beats and we're going to put it on a percussion instrument of your choice. And yep. oh, now we're going to do a performance and we're going to go around the room and like we're going to sing Black Cat and then this group does their B section. Yep. So then you've got your total Rondo thing going on, right? right? We keep coming back to Black Cat. Anyway, yes, you could. we could do a whole podcast all about Black Cat. Right. But again, yes. the point is, I think it always bears repeating, this is over a series of multiple lessons. And yes. within all of those lessons, you're doing other things. It could yes. be Halloween related things. It could be more practice of ta titi rest. Or it could be that you're prepping the melodic concept of do while you're practicing ta titi rest, right? Like, right. so yeah, you're not just focusing on that one thing. And you're certainly not just focusing on that one song. No, because I what if you have a kid? Yeah who is like, oh my, everybody loves this song, Black Cat, and I'm so over it. You've lost that kid, right? But now we're playing Old Mother Witch. Ooh, a chase game. I can get on board for that. So it's also making sure that you're keeping everybody engaged because I am super grown up many, many years, right? And I would get tired of 45 minutes of Black Cat. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But how cool all the things we can do with this simple 16-beat 
you know, song. Like, there's so many things we can do with it once we think about all the ways we can play with it, especially yes. the practice stage. The practice stage, I think, is where you can really just come up with a million and a half different ideas. Oh, right. and I should also plug us, Tanya, because if you're still a little unclear about those prepare, present, practice stages, hey, guess what? We have podcasts all about that. We do. And if you want some tips on how to do long-term planning, yearly planning, hey, we've got a podcast all about that too. So we'll we'll link to those in the show notes if you just want to dig more into planning. We have a whole series about planning um, from a few years ago. So this is just a different take on it, um, but it's, you know, similar stuff. So you can always hear us talk about it more. Exactly. All right. So that was my long-winded example. And now I re realize that in the show notes, we got to put black cat, but I've got it. We can oh, do yeah. That. No, that's yeah. not bad. No, All right, Carrie. Um, okay, cool. I was thinking of a second grade example, but since you did second grade, I'll, I'll scoot down to first grade. How about that? Okay. Um, so I'll just talk through um, a lesson segment I did just not yesterday because it was fun run yesterday at school, so I didn't have classes, but just the day before. Okay, so first grade for me, we are um, practicing uh, the four different ways to use our voices. I know that's kind of a kindergarten thing, but I also bring it back in first grade just as a review. Um, so in my world, I do singing voice, speaking voice, whispering voice, and I do say shouting voice. I know some people like the word calling voice, but I say shouting voice, but I do make sure they understand the difference between shouting voice and screaming voice. That's not a thing. Uh, screaming voice is not a thing we use in the music room. So anyways, all that to say, four different ways to use the voice. Um, um, can so I just, I'm sorry yeah. to, yeah. In first grade, I bring in thinking voice. Right. Oh, yeah. We'll get there, too. Like inner yeah. hearing. Inner hearing. Exactly. Yeah. 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 We'll get there, too. But we're just not there quite yet. Um, and then I'm also working on the concept of steady beat. And steady beat's kind of one of those, you know, concepts where it's like, yeah, we kind of have a preparation stage where I'm trying not to use the word beat, but sometimes that's really kind of almost more awkward than it needs to be. So it's more like the preparation stages we're just experiencing steady beat in lots of different ways. And really, to me, that moment of presentation of steady beat is where we attach like an icon to it and then we start comparing beat to rhythm, right? Like that's steady beat without comparing it to rhythm kind of feels like a real out there concept but that's kind of where we're at right now is like transitioning from like that experiential steady beat to like actual like visual steady beat right yes. so using I'm gonna go with a Halloween thing too so here you go you also get some fall themed things using the chant Miss White so Miss White goes Miss White had a fright in the middle of the night saw a ghost eating toast halfway up the lamp post just a fun little chant and you can use it for so many things um obviously it'd be a great ta titi thing but we're not there yet so what i had my uh first graders do first was we were coming out of another activity where we were working on steady beat and what i have them say when we're looking at a steady beat chart or patting steady beat in our body is we just say nice and steady nice and steady and we just like chant that or i'll have half the class chanting nice and steady while the other class chants miss white and we switch back and forth i had a beat chart up on the board which was just 16 ghosts of equal size later yes. on 
those ghosts will turn into icons of Ta and Titi, big ghosts and two little ghosts, right? But right now they're just all equal size. So we were pointing to the ghosts and I just had one on the board we were all pointing to. You could have individual ones if you wanted to, but in this case, it just made sense to do it whole group. And then I took that same chant. We were just practicing nice and steady and brought in this concept of the four voices, which we've been working on. So this is now practice of that. I have these four pictures. They're like a poster that says the title of the voice and there's like a little picture. I think these pictures came from like the Share the Music series circa 1990 something. And there are these black and white drawings of two students who are either speaking, singing, shouting, or whispering. And so I have one on each different piece of paper and I held up one and we did Miss White with that. When we got to singing voice, I should preface this to say, I just made up a little so me law. Miss White had a fright in the middle of the night. Saw a ghost eating toast halfway up the lamp post. You know, just made up that little so me law song and I've already kind of sung it that way for them. So when I held up the singing voice poster, that's how they sang it as well. And then what we did was I had four students come up and they each held one of the posters. And I said, all right, we're gonna do our four pieces of Miss White in this order. So Miss White had a fright and then we switched to whisper voice in the middle of the night. Switch to singing voice for the third phrase, switch to shouting voice from the fourth phrase, and then I invited a student leader to come up and change the order and move the students who were holding the posters. So now we're going to do it in a different way. And then that's how we did it. And then we switched the posters again, and now we do it in a different way. And we did that a couple of different times with different leaders. And then finally, the final lesson segment chunk, I'd say, although this kind of almost became its own lesson segment, if you want to think of it that way, is that we played a four corners game. So I took those four posters, put them on four music stands in four corners of the room. I used my voice in one of those four ways and all the kids flocked to that poster just as like a point of like, where is each one? So the whole class was moving. And then I told them, all right, everybody, we're going to do it random now. You may go stand by any poster you want to stand by. And then I used the wheel of names to spin the wheel and it had the four voices on it. And there you go. Whatever one it landed on, those kids had to sit down and they were out. So then it's just a totally random I was going to say, I thought maybe you were going like whichever kid, whichever voice comes up, they have to say it. In you that could way. totally do it that way. Wow. But what we did was, I, so like if it landed on singing voice, the kids who were st- standing by singing voice, they were out and they sat down, but then we sang it while they moved to another poster and oh. then it landed on whisper voice. Those kids had to sit down. Then we whispered nice. it while they moved to the next poster. So we were practicing the four voices while they were moving, but the whole one group gets out thing was just totally random. That's that's very clever. I love it. I've I've never done that in that way because I've done like we said, we've done I've done uh, four corner type things, of course. But um, yeah, in this setting with this song, that's great. Um, I was also and this can be said for almost any lesson segment is that when you are doing that, having the kids at the front of the room and they have to switch by each phrase, we are also um how do I want to say? We are not out and out teaching form. You're not like, here's a phrase, here's form. But 
they are intuing it, right? Yes. Is that the word I want to say? Yeah. yeah. So they're soaking in that whole like, oh, we we're changing on the phrase, and this is you're you're kind of like building up their their knowledge of understanding the form, understanding oh, totally. phrase, even though you are not bringing that out and pointing to it. It's just a secondary thing that's happening. Right. And that was also emphasized visually with the beat chart we had done right before yes. because there were 16 ghosts. There were four lines of four ghosts each. So they could see each line was a phrase, but I did not use that word phrase. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So there and you this, go. That's beautiful teaching. Love it. Oh, well, thank you. You as well. So, yeah, I mean, that me explaining it took just as long, I feel like, as for us to do it in class. You know what I mean? Like, you know, tapping the beat chart to Miss White, that took, what, one minute? And then coming up and doing the posters in front of the class, that took, I don't know, four, three, four minutes. So then moving and playing the four corners game, even though we were using the same chant, that felt like a totally different activity to the kids. We were up and moving, and we did that for about five minutes right and they loved it so much and then they wanted to do it again I'm like nope we're moving on to the next thing um can I give more and thens or were you about to give some oh no you can do some and thens I really what I'm holding my tongue is I want to talk then about how then that equals so can easily become a transition to the next song but we're going to talk about transitions another day but if that's what you put in that oh yes that could totally oh yeah now I want to talk about transitions but we're not going to go there yet not yet stay tuned but what you could do, let's say you wanted to assess their understanding of using those four different voices. I'm thinking Seesaw because it just works so well, this learning platform called Seesaw, where you put that, you know, you put your chart of your 16 ghosts in there, and then you have um, little manipulatives on the side of those very pictures of speaking, singing, um, shouting. Uh, what am I whispering? And you have the kids manipulate line by line. Okay. Well, on this line, I'm going to do singing on this line. And then they record it uh-huh. in seesaw and they have to say, you know, did miss white had a fright in the middle of the night. Saw ghost eating toast. Halfway up the lamp post, that kind of thing. Yep. Now, Let's say you don't have technology and you can't do that. Could you have kids have that beat chart in front of them and make little squares that are laminated of that stuff and they could just plop them down and you move around the room while kids are practicing and go, oh, Tyler, let me hear your Miss White composition because they are, they're arranging really, but Mm -hmm. you could say, oh, you know, let me hear your arrangement of Miss White. Yeah. So. That's an assessment thing that you could do. Would you do that on the same day? No. No. But I did do an assessment, (laughs) but mine was just a paper pencil assessment and it was an, it was an identify, uh, identify what voice I'm using assessment. It wasn't, you know, the kid then demonstrating, which is a whole different assessment, which is valid. But I just so happened that the one I did was I had a worksheet. Again, it's from that share the music series, whatever. Some of those things are gold and I'll never get rid of them, but it's a worksheet that has those exact same four images. And Mm. then they had to number them in the order that I used the voices at. Yeah. And that was their assessment. Easy peasy. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I love the idea of Seesaw. My kids are not set up on Seesaw at my school with their classroom teachers, and I'm not going to go there right now, even though I would love to be able to do it. I'm just not ready right now. So anyways, um, but yeah. Cool. All right. Well, 
Any other final thoughts about lesson segments? Well, so many thoughts, but we don't have <laughs> time. I don't know. I just love getting digging into it. And I'm like, and then you could, and then we could. Oh, and totally. then, yeah. So, but that's a better problem than what should I, what should I, what should I, right? Oh, so much. Or how should problem. I? So. Yeah. I'm and honestly, I struggle more with the um, balancing it all out between several lessons than I do coming up with the things yeah. again, right? It's it's a matter of balance. So you would take, you know, several songs and you're doing something different, which each one. Yeah. Um, and also it's totally fine and expected that you're going to have a lesson segment where we are only playing the game and singing the song. Yeah. And we are not digging in deeper. And that's your right? relaxation. Yeah. That would be your relaxation lesson segment. And the very first time you introduce a song, or a chant is not going to be the time where you're digging in because they need to soak it in. Yeah. They need to really be able to do that song or chant on their own before you pull out that learning. Yeah. And also thinking, you know, within your order of your lesson segments, how you're putting them in order in your lesson, you know, thinking about the the balance between the concentration and the relaxation, but also thinking about physically what they're doing. So if they happen to be sitting while they're concentrating, oh, yeah. well then hopefully their relaxation game is up and moving. But sometimes their relaxation game is sitting. So then yeah. maybe your concentration is up and moving. So like, even though Four Corners was just kind of like a silly game, they were actually having to do something with their brains. You know what I mean? So yes. I kind of consider that to be like a moderate concentration, I guess you would, you would call it. You know, like yeah. we weren't just dancing and singing for the joy of it, even though that's a great thing to do. We were thinking about something while we were moving and the movement was part of the activity. So like that's getting in the weeds, but like just literally thinking about, okay, they were sitting for this activity. Now we need to be moving for the next one and vice versa. Yes. And the kids will let you know. They won't say, hey, we've been sitting too long, but they will let you know. If they all start standing up um, or looking restless, you read the room and go, oh, okay, I guess I should have planned for us to move around at this point yeah. um, because that's what they need to do. They will always tell you, not not verbally always. Yeah. Uh, also to your point about, yes, they're doing something physically and it's not, you know, that, well, you, you could definitely have them demonstrate their learning physically, right? Exactly. The Delcros people would tell you that that's primarily what should be happening. <laughs> so you could have everybody stand up and, ooh, let's move while we speak the chant and let's make it, well, I'm not using, uh, I'm just going back to your comparative, the comparatives fast. And so can we move slow? Can we move fast? Right. Can yeah. we, all that. All right. Well, stay tuned for our next episode where we're going to talk about lesson segments for upper grades, for oh, intermediate yes. grades, and just some of the special considerations there. So now it's time for our Know Better, Do Better segment, where we talk about ways to be more inclusive and culturally responsive in our classrooms. And Tanya has some exciting news to share on behalf of someone else. Go, go for yes, it, Tanya. <laughs> exactly. So very recently, we saw uh, Dr. Karen Howard drop a uh, description of a new program they have at St. Thomas where she is a professor and it is called the diverse perspectives concentration in music education 
and it is 33 credit hours um, for music ed graduate students. And as I look through the required courses and the elective courses, um, I wish I I wish I was younger and richer and um, able to go to Minnesota to take all of these fantastic courses that are listed. So I'm looking at things like world music for instrumental ensembles for two credits, global traditions and choir for two credits, Latin American music, Smithsonian folkways, world music pedagogy, realizing diversity in music education and the guest faculty and the faculty that they have listed here are people that you really want to learn from. So if you are able, if you are interested, just know that there is now at St. Thomas University, a diverse perspectives concentration in music education. And boy, I hope this is setting a trend, um, an ongoing tradition of universities, colleges to have these kind of courses within their music ed programs, because that is super needed. And, and I want to go now. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm looking, you know, even within the elective courses, then like taking your code, I level one would be an exactly. elective within this course, taking your ORF level one or Delcro's and Delcro's one. musicianship. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's not completely abandoning, you know, really excellent tried and true pedagogical practices that obviously Tanya and I are both are very attached to, but it's, it's shifting the focus to a more global, you know, way of thinking about music education. And I think it's, yes really amazing. So congratulations to Karen Howard and the staff at St. Thomas and all of these guest faculty that are um, shown here. It's, it looks pretty awesome. Yeah. I want to read the blurb that's on here because it just sums it up perfectly. Yeah, do it. The diverse perspectives concentration places a unique emphasis on the development of educators' confidence and skill sets in matters of power and privilege in ways that are musical, pedagogical, and critically responsive to the world around us. We all need that. Well, and just how many of us say and keep saying, and I'll, you know, like, I want to do more with this. I just didn't get that training myself. So here you go. Here's, here's the training. Yep. Here's the training. So awesome. So cool. And now we will work smarter, not harder, because Carrie's going to tell us how to do that. Sure. Well, I just want to mention a tool, and I know you've mentioned it before, Tanya, on this podcast, and it's the Wheel of Names tool. And I just mentioned it when we were talking about lesson segments because it's how I built my activity, my Four Corners activity. So I wanted a Four Corners activity for practicing the four voices. And I was like, oh, let me look on YouTube. Uh, there's nothing there I, I, I like, or I don't even know if I found anything there. Um, I have Music Play Online as like a, a resource that I pull things from. Let me look on there. No, nothing on there. So I was like, huh, how do I make my own? So I Googled it. And the first thing that popped up was Wheel of Names. And I was like, oh yeah, duh. Like I've never thought about using Wheel of Names for you know, something like that. And if you've talked about this before, Tanya, and I forgot, I apologize. But Wheel of Names, it's it's a free online tool and you can log in with your Google account and then you can save 
your wheels, which is nice. So you can create one for a class where you have the first name of all of your students and you spin the whale and, you know, it lands on them and they get a turn at such and such. And, you know, I've used that similar type of tool on the iDokio app. So I've never used Wheel of Names for that particular purpose, but I hadn't thought about how easy it is to create four corners type games. And the other cool thing about Wheel of Names is that it's very customizable. So like you've got your wheel and you can put in your four segments, but you can upload pictures. So you could put like four different images of like rhythm patterns or, you know, you could put in pictures of instruments or instrument families and play a four corners game that way. Um, the other cool thing that I realized was I wanted to change the sound. So when it landed on whatever, instead of like a yay cheering sound, you can change the sound. And I changed it to the sad trombone, you know, it's like wah, 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 wah. And so when it <laughs> yeah. landed on that one and the kids had to go sit down, they just laughed. They thought it was so funny. Um, you can add music. So while the wheel is spinning, it's like playing music. I didn't do that, but you can do that. You can put in like background images of leaves or pumpkins or snow or, you know, so anyways, I was just having a lot of fun playing on Wheel of Names, but all that to say, I was able to create a Four Corners game for free using this tool in, within five minutes. And that was that was a win in my book. So again, rather than going to Facebook and saying, hey, does anybody have a Four Corners activity? I just made one and it didn't take long and it was free. So yay, and Wheel of Names. Are you, oh, I thought maybe I was going to steal your thunder, thunder by mentioning this. What? Well, Katie Argyle at Midnight Music, her latest and greatest podcast episode, uh, set on dropped on September 26th, Spice Up Your Music Classes with Wheel of Names. I was just listening. Oh, no, are you so serious? This is why, yeah. So this is why, like, oh, I wonder if Carrie, when you were talking about that earlier, I was like, oh, I wonder if Carrie was listening to Katie. No, um, honestly, so. I mean, I do listen to that podcast, but I did not. I don't know where if I've been. Want and I didn't so even... many ideas. I, I oh, mean, oh my gosh, I'm looking it up right now. That is hilarious. Things, things okay. I was I was not thinking about that. I was like, oh yeah, I could do that. Oh yeah, I could do that because I've used Wheel of Names, but she mentions so many others. All that to oh say, my gosh. You should, yeah, you should be listening to Music Tech Teacher, uh, Midnight Music, Katie Argyle, and that would be episode 152. Oh, and this is episode 143. So Katie. You beat us, we're, Katie. I know. We're catching she's, up. She's we're competing with up. us now, which we love. And thanks for the mention on your podcast, Katie. We appreciated that very much. Yes. That made my day. Okay. Well, that's really funny, Katie. I promise I'm not stealing your thunder. I really was going to talk about this before Tanya just mentioned that. But we yeah. just want to promote Katie's podcast. But it's, it's fabulous. Awesome. But Wheel yeah. of Names is also fabulous. So there you go. So now it's time for our CODA section where we give a recommendation of something we're enjoying either in or out of the music room. Tanya, what you got? I got out of the music room last night. Hooray. <laughs> Hooray. I went to a movie theater with my fam, um, with my husband and my kid, uh, my youngest kid. And we went to go see Stop Making Sense, the Talking Heads concert movie which came out in 1984 i know i'm dating myself again that's just how it has to be sorry anyway talking heads the band if you're not familiar with them um they were very very influential through the 
early 80s. And, you know, there's so many things that the Talking Heads have done that are really iconic now that you see pop up still in pop culture from time to time. All that to say, I had never seen Stop Making Sense. And my husband was like aghast because he actually saw it in the movie theater. So again, dating myself. Um, no, dating your husband. <laughs> dating my husband. And um, my kid that when we took our kid, I was like, oh, no, I did not tell them what this movie is. I just said, let's we're going to the movies. Come on. And we're sitting there and I'm like, oh, no, they're going to be like so annoyed. And actually, at the very end, I turned to my child. I didn't even say anything. And um, they said, well, that was fun. And I went, cool. oh, yeah. um, it's well, I, I'm a sucker for a concert movie especially if it's well done. And this is so well done. It's just amazing. And if you if you like the Talking Heads, even a little bit, it's totally worth seeing. And if you don't even know who the Talking Heads are, it's still worth seeing because you'll, you'll point out things, you'll see things that you go, oh, wow, I didn't realize that was Talking Heads. Cool. Anyway. All right. So that was very exciting. I would love to go again. It was a great time. It was amazing. And I'm just a sucker for a good concert uh, movie, especially from 80s music. Oh, and say I'm going to a concert movie in a couple of weeks with my daughter. We're going to go see the Taylor uh, Swift concert movie. That's very different. Because, you know, she's 11. But a fun time. She's 11. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Well, that sounds fun. And just right up your alley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that yeah, is. All okay. right, Carrie. Um, no, my husband would actually probably really enjoy doing that. So maybe we'll do that soon. So, well, okay, cool. Now. Yeah. All right. Mine is a podcast. Shocking. Um, and you may have heard of this guy and his buddy. So this is the Social Studies Podcast with Joe Dombrowski and Gaspar Randazzo. Oh, I watch I watch his Instagram cutesy things. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Joe, he's also known, isn't he Mr. D times three? Isn't that how he's gone? in the past I, oh, no. I can't remember his handle. am I thinking of some okay anyways he was you know an elementary teacher a kindergarten teacher he is he always has funny things on Instagram and then his co-host Gaspar Rondazzo also has funny Instagram um where he because he is a high school social studies teacher and so his is all it's all very sarcastic teacher humor um lots of potty talk lots of not don't listen to it around your children don't listen to it around kindergartners yeah. Oh, no, don't listen to it under anything under, I don't know, 14 or 15, because they, they're hilarious, though. They are just funny. So if you're not easily offended by, you know, potty talk or potty language, um, but they're just so funny because they do, they do talk on the podcast about things that affect teachers, but then they also just talk about other random stuff. Do they talk yeah. about social studies content? No, 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 not necessarily. I don't, okay. I'm honestly, I've only listened to a couple of episodes and there are 325. So I feel like this has Ooh. probably emerged over the year. Right now they're on this whole big long series called, did you know about whatever? So like it's, it's historical because one of them will talk like bring up like a, I think it's always Gasper, Gasper, I think is how you, where he talks about um, something that like, I don't even know if I want to say 
the one that I listen to because it's also kind of true crimey gross. But um, it's like <laughs> they mention something, hey, did you know about this thing in history? And then they talk through it. And it's like, so it's kind of related to teaching, but not really. And I don't really know. Honestly, I don't know enough about the evolution of it. I just know that each episode is just funny. Like they're just they're funny to listen to. Um, the teacher anecdotes are funny, but it's just funny aside from being a teacher humor too. So, and I believe they do like YouTube videos of their podcast as well. They're those kind of people. So if you'd rather watch it than listen to it, that's available too. Um, and then yeah, each of their own Instagram accounts are fun to follow just on their own. Um, so yeah, it's called the social studies podcast, Joe Dombrowski and Gaspar Randazzo. They're funny. Cool. We've reached the double bar line. Thank you for listening to Music Teacher Coffee Talk. Show notes can be found at musicteachercoffeetalkpodcast.com. You can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Just look for Music Teacher Coffee Talk. If you enjoyed this show, please consider subscribing, rating, and leaving us a review on iTunes to help others find this podcast. And we always appreciate folks buying us a coffee, so look for that link on our show notes and on our Facebook page. In our next episode, we will be continuing our Recipes for Success series by talking about lesson segments for intermediate upper elementary grades. So until next time, this is Carrie. And this is Tanya wishing you happy music. -y.